0: I can't wait to share this interview with Marie Coombs with you. Welcome to episode 20 of the Soul Led Leaders podcast with me, your host, Claire Yosa. And today's session is for you. If ever you have to have difficult conversations. Now, Marie and I are gonna be talking about having them in the workplace, but actually what we're gonna cover today will apply to conversations in any area of your life where you need to touch on those tricky topics and you want to avoid conflict and misunderstanding. We're gonna talk about what difficult conversations are, which topics Maria's is seeing coming up in the workplace as we start to return to the office, managing those who want to stay working at home versus those who want to be full-time in the office without creating a two-tier team, how to communicate properly to avoid conflict, managing upwards, raising these tricky topics with your manager, and what the next big topic is that workplaces are completely missing that risks creating division in the workforce. Marie is an award-winning mediator trainer, and she's also a mental health first-aider trainer. So she's got some real insights and wisdom to share with you today. Make sure you grab a cup of tea right now, you switch off your distractions and have a listen. The Soul Led Leaders podcast is for corporate leaders who are making waves and changing the rules with their hearts, not just their heads, but they know that their secret 3am self-talk is getting in the way. Where others stress about the status quo, you're the action taker who drives the changes and making a difference and being a crusader is hardwired into your DNA. The Soul Ed Leader Podcast is here to help. Led by Claire Yosa, law changer, eight times author and international speaker, each episode is designed to help you to clear out the secret glass ceilings you never realized you'd put in your own way so that you can step up showing up with all of who you really are and reclaim your power to make the difference you know you are really here to make in the world with clarity, confidence and passion. So good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm thrilled to be able to talk with Marie Coombs today. She's an award-winning mediator trainer. She's also a mental health first aider trainer, and she specializes in helping people to have the conversations that we've convinced ourselves are difficult in ways to prevent conflict, to facilitate deeper connection, and to re- restore that sense of calm. So welcome, Marie. It's wonderful to have you join us. Hello. Morning,
1: Claire. Absolutely fantastic to be here. You know I love talking to you. <laughs> Thank
0: you. And Marie, one thing that I've never yet asked you that I'd love to start with today is how on earth did you end up as a mediator trainer?
1: Um, by accident, pretty much. Um, before I, uh, I opened up my company, I worked for Raw Mail for 17 years and I was in a really, really lucky position back in 2014 where they were setting up an in-house mediation team. And I kind of liked the idea of, of mediation. I, you know, it kind of fitted with, with my mentality and, and helping people, um, support them through sort of difficult situations. Left it right until the very last minute to apply, applied along with 700 other people for 10 jobs, and I got one of them. And I have never looked back. It was the best decision I ever made.
0: That's fantastic. I had no idea about that, Marie. And one of the things, everybody listening and watching, that I love about Marie, is that Marie's very grounded and down to earth and practical. So where the conversation, you know, the topic of difficult conversations can get quite esoteric and quite left-brained and quite model-based, when you work with Marie, you just feel safe. Yeah. You just know there's not going to be any drama and I just feel held. Yeah, I've never had to work with you as a mediator, which in some ways is fortunate, but just just the conversations that we've had, you just feel safe to be able to open up and be you, which is a real gift, Marie, that you share with the world.
1: Absolutely, and it's at the heart of everything I do as well. I am on a mission to make people feel safe. Thank you. So, Marie, I'd like to start with what
0: is your definition of what are difficult conversations?
1: it's it's anything that invokes the four f's the fight flight freeze or fawn response and it's those conversations we avoid that we think that we're going to get in an argument with um anything that we have fear of you know fear of the consequences of speaking up um power struggles uh, are a big thing as well. Obviously, talking to your manager or feeling that somebody else has has more power than you—it doesn't even necessarily need to be a manager subordinate relationship. It's just if you perceive that they have more power than you. So it's pretty much anything that invokes those four Fs, um, <laughs> okay. and, and automatically triggers that response in our brain. This is going to be difficult.
0: Okay, so the kind of thing that I'd expect people to be seeing then, and you can tell me if you see this, is is something I talk a lot about with clients called the flinch factor where you think about the conversation and something tightens in your body is is that could be a really useful early warning sign if you're thinking about that conversation you kind of go oh in your body it's like okay this is where I need to go and listen to what Marie has to say thank you (laughs) Absolutely. absolutely now I know you said just when we were chatting before we got on live for the interview there's some research that you've been reading about that absolutely blew my mind
1: yeah, so uh, there was a study done about 18 months ago now um, where they were investigating why why people avoid the conversation. Out of that study, 80% of people were avoiding difficult conversations, um, which didn't surprise me in the slightest. What did surprise me was some of the other figures. One in 10 delay that conversation for at least a year and a further one in 10 delay it for at least two years which that is a, it's a terrifying statistic because those people that are delaying those conversations are stuck in that 4F. So they are stuck in that situation. Every time they see that person, every time they have to have an interaction with that person, it immediately triggers one of those 4Fs again, because they know that they're avoiding that conversation.
0: Absolutely. And that really is shocking. I mean, yeah, it it also kind of doesn't surprise me because We do put those conversations off. We convince ourselves how horrible it's going to be and we turn it into a really big thing. And I know that also with your background as a mental health first aider trainer, you must see a direct link between people putting off those
1: conversations and mental health. Absolutely. It's a cause and effect relationship. Um, If you already have a mental health condition, remaining in that place where you're avoiding those conversations will make it worse. And if you don't have a condition that increases our stress responses and stress over time can develop into a mental health condition. So, you know, tackling early, um, regardless of the fact that it may give you some short term difficulties in the long term is going to be a benefit to everybody.
0: Absolutely. And the increase in anxiety that we get from being in that fight, flight, freeze response with the sympathetic nervous system triggered the whole time can have a knock on impact. So many other areas in our lives and relationships that have nothing to do with the person that that difficult conversation is with. So, Marie, Mm -hmm. as we're looking at making hybrid work and going back into the office, potentially or potentially less, Um, What are the kind of topics that you're seeing coming up at the moment that people are potentially avoiding having difficult conversations over?
1: So the, the big thing um, during COVID has been that conversation remotely. Uh, we were talking just before about the tone of emails. That's probably been one of the biggest ticket issues I've seen in, in, uh, in a lot of the conflict conversations I've seen is everybody relying on um, email a lot more. And we never know the tone that that email should be coming across on because we're not sat there having the conversation. So, it you know, you receive an email if it's from somebody that you're avoiding a difficult conversation with, you're already a lot higher in terms of your reaction than you would be if you saw them face to face. Um, And it's, it's very much about reading those emails, reading that written communication and not really understanding where it's coming from. And that's triggering a lot of, um, a lot of difficulties between people at the moment. The other kind of things, I mean, communication in general has always been a big ticket issue in mediation um, because it's the first thing to go when people have an issue with each other, whatever that issue might be. Perception gaps, Those gaps in perception between what one person thinks and what somebody else thinks is a recurring theme. I always talk about three truths. There's your truth, their truth and the truth. And conflict is never about the truth. It's always about understanding each other's truths. So that's another big ticket issue. The ones I'm starting to see come through now. Menopause. um, We have an aging workforce. There's a lot more women in that menopausal area uh, in the workplace. Um, You know, if if you're a man, you might be sat there thinking, oh, God, no, actually, that doesn't affect me. But it does if you manage somebody who is going through that. So that's going to be a bigger ticket issue over the next um, sort of three or four years, um, along with mental health being an increasing issue as well. We've only just touched the tip of the iceberg in terms of mental health at the moment. And those people returning from furlough as well. Um, that's I'm starting to see that being an issue because there's resentment between those that have carried on working, thinking that those sat at home have been sat at home for the last 18 months when actually those sat at home have wanted to be at work. So there's resentment in the other direction as well. So they're kind of the big things I'm seeing at the moment. And there's other things that, are, uh, that I can see on the horizon, which are really going to cause issues as well. But we'll talk about that in a minute.
0: So one of the things that I'm definitely seeing with my clients is what you've just said about furlough returners is we need to be having conversations to rebuild those teams. You can't just bring people who've been furloughed back into the office or remote working and expect them to feel included, yeah? Imposter syndrome rates, for example, amongst furloughed workers are skyrocketing because they've been out of the organization for potentially a year or more. They feel that everybody else has moved ahead. What do I know? What if they realize I'm no longer good enough at my job? similarly we've got the people who've been on their knees potentially working 14 hours a day with the perception that the people who've been furloughed have been sat at home on holiday whereas actually as you say that you know they might have been stuck in a tiny flat with no garden going stir crazy wanting to be back in the office so when we're looking at things like this how to communicate how to rebuild teams to avoid conflict to prevent resentment What is your advice on that to communicate properly, to be able to avoid that conflict and to be able to rebuild those teams, Marie?
1: So for me, it's twofold. One is the psychological side and one is the the, the communication side. So in terms of the psychology, it's about understanding that we all have a desire to be psychologically safe. And the kind of tenets of psychological safety, security, having a stable job, having a stable situation, um, having control. So autonomy is a big thing as well. Being able to control your environment, being able to control what happens to you and fairness. That's a huge thing in terms of psychological safety. If people do not feel they are being treated fairly or if they feel that others around them are not being treated fairly as well, that can have a major impact on our psychological safety. And what that does is it triggers the 4F response. Um, in terms of the communication side of things never ever have a conversation in the heat of emotion always sort of say you know what we're not going anywhere with this conversation it's going to take five minutes I'll go and grab a cup of tea and then we'll come back and start again never ever feel like you have to force a conversation okay having the proper communication grows trust and rapport it builds that connection having a proper empathic conversation builds connection um, so it's very much about finding the right time to have the conversation as well don't try and have a conversation five minutes away from a meeting find the right time to have that conversation where you can be in a safe environment where you can be in a productive environment and also confidentiality is a huge thing about communication if you're talking about difficult things you need to know that you are in a confidential environment as well um It's also about listening to heal, not listening to respond. How many times have we been stuck in a conflict situation and we've been sitting there thinking, oh, God, how am I going to respond to this? Instead of actually listening to what's happening, listening to what's being said. So it's about that active listening, that actively engaging in the conversation. And the final thing for me is about self-awareness. So it is very much about understanding yourself. And one thing that I talk about a lot, both as a mental health first aider and also as a human being, is our frame of reference. We all come from a frame of reference. We all come from a set of beliefs, values, upbringing, childhood, all those kind of things that make us who we are and being aware of our reaction, our triggers to things can have a big part of having a productive conversation with somebody as well.
0: That's really, really important stuff. As you say, the frame, that frame of reference, that self-awareness is understanding potentially what we are projecting onto the conversation, taking that out so we can really listen to hear. And it's being able to listen to hear without getting defensive, isn't it? Because it's not really about us. If somebody's got pain inside, it probably isn't us. Yeah. So taking it personally, I can imagine, would actually increase the conflict. And it's having that maturity and self-awareness, as you describe it, to be able to to say, this isn't about me. I'm getting me out of the way. And I'm open to there being a solution to this. Yeah,
1: absolutely, absolutely. The first thing I do when I'm a mediator is I put my mediator persona on. And part of that is this isn't about me. This is about the two people in the room. This is very much about um, helping them rebuild their communication. It is never about you. It is always about somebody talking from a position of what they need, their underlying needs. And part of that is psychological safety. Absolutely. And if we look
0: at, you know, most of us have heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There's a reason why safety and security is at the bottom of that pyramid, because it is the foundation for all of our other experiences in life. Yeah. We've got a great one here in the comments. Judith Glazer's work on conversational intelligence is a great read and complements what Marie's just mentioned. Yep, listening to connect. And I know you and I have both talked about Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication. It's what you're just saying here is it's about the, the conflict comes because we don't understand each other's needs. And I'm guessing a lot of the time, certainly I've seen in my client work, we don't actually know what our needs are. So we're not articulating them in a way that allows other people to meet them. And the job of you as a mediator or if you're training people in an organisation to be able to facilitate those conversations is to help people really see those unmet needs that have been creating the perception of conflict. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. One of the one of the key things I do um, is I speak individually with people and we work through from the story, which is usually 20 minutes of what I like to call verbal diarrhoea which is where everything just comes out. And as a mediator, I'm trained to spot the unmet needs. And then we talk through those to the point where the story that somebody comes in with is very, very different from what they are taking out of that meeting and into the joint meeting of a mediation. Very, very different.
0: You see, this is such an important thing to be doing. And obviously, I know most of us aren't qualified to be doing it the way you do. But if somebody's in a management position, and they don't have the benefit of Marie time first. Then I guess for them, they could still there would be huge benefit in them talking to both parties individually rather than just bringing them like two fighting dogs into the arena. And as you say, it's that that vomit, you know, of I need my story to be heard. Nobody's listened to me unconditionally on this before. I need to get it out because until somebody has been heard, they're not going to let go of the story then, as you say, being able to understand what are the needs that meant this story was created and is being fed. And then that's the point at which you mediate from. And when you've heard the story without engaging in the drama of it, then the person feels they've been heard and they can let go of some of the emotional attachment. Yeah. And I guess then the, the, the mediation or the discussion is much more likely to be successful, Marie.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. The joint meeting always starts with something we call uninterrupted speaking time, which is that opportunity to speak and be heard.
0: Mm. Because,
1: as I say, we're always listening to respond rather than listening to hear. So people are effectively, in the nicest possible way, forced to listen. Yeah. And that is a real golden moment in a mediation because you do you see that realisation. Oh, my God, I didn't realise I'd done that. Yeah. But often.
0: Absolutely. And if you're leading that discussion, whether it's somebody like you, Marie, or whether it's a line manager or somebody in an HR team, what's really important, I guess, is to make sure that when somebody has that realisation, it doesn't then cause them to shut down with the guilt and the shame of, I can't believe I did that, therefore I'm an awful person, yeah?
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's happened. We're going to deal with it. Move on.
1: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So... One of the big challenges I'm hearing from my audience and from my clients is having those conversations upwards, yeah, Mm. is being able to raise difficult conversations with your line manager, your director, your managing partner, or even the CEO. And I was working with a client just yesterday where her difficult conversation is saying no to meetings, yeah. She's just been promoted into a global role. She now has seven hours a day of back-to-back meetings, wakes up first thing in the morning, the first thing she thinks is, hmm, what work will I get done tonight? Yeah? Yeah. This kind of thing is becoming increasingly common. It's leading to mental health issues and burnout, productivity issues, performance issues, team problems, absenteeism. What would your advice be for... Those of us who need to raise that difficult topic with our line manager, where there might not be somebody there to facilitate, to have that courage to be able to have that conversation and not be the statistic that's put it off for two years and then leaves the company because they didn't want to raise the conversation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my first thing would be tackle it early. Um, Something will only get bigger if it's not talked about. So regardless of whether it's upwards, downwards, left or right, tackle it early. Don't allow it to fester because that's when a difficult become, a conversation becomes an impossible conversation and all of a sudden it's two years later. There's something within the conflict split sphere called conflict styles and sometimes understanding what your style of dealing with conflict um, is can um, support how you have that conversation. So I will say conflict, you're probably not going to like this, conflict is inevitable. It's whether it's constructive or destructive that is the key point here. Okay. The reason why we talk about the constructive and destructive um, conflict is because we all come from that frame of reference. So it's about how we react, not necessarily. Um, what the actual issue is that's quite often the difference between constructive and destructive conflict so having an understanding of that other person's conflict style whether they are a shark which is kind of like the fight response whether they're a teddy bear which is the fawning response or whether they're a collaborator that can help you prepare for that conversation and prepare your style to match their style okay because what you're doing then is you're appealing to their underlying needs it is about understanding their needs and goals as well. So what is their life like? What is their work life like? Is what you're going to talk to them about going to make things more difficult or more easy? Understanding how that's going to impact on their needs and goals. And then on the you know understanding then how they may react to it. And it is about respect and empathy as well. Uh, Brené Brown talks about empathy building connection. And um, it's also one of those where an empathic conversation uh, is never one that starts with at least. So, you know, it's all about having the right level of empathy and having respect for each other's time as well. I mentioned earlier on about picking the right time to have a conversation. It's exactly the same managing up as it is managing down to a certain extent. It's picking the right time and then being mindful of each other's time because we're all busy. Every single one of us is busy. But what we can do by having the conversation early is we can save a bigger amount of time later on. So it's that short-term pain for long-term gain. This is brilliant. And I love that whole
0: thing about the two types of conflict and how actually it's about how we experience and process it rather than the actual topic. I'd love to hear from those of you who are live with us via the chat. What are your thoughts on that, on those two types of conflict and the role that we play in it? And Marie, building on something that you said earlier about that kind of 20 minutes of vomit, that, you know, the the getting it out there that people need to have that verbal diarrhea. What would you I mean, I'm thinking, you know, and I could be wrong because I'm not a mediator trainer, but I'm wondering if you need to have that difficult conversation with your boss, whether it's worth finding somebody who's a trusted friend that you could have that verbal diarrhea with before you go into the meeting with the boss. So when you go into the meeting with the boss, you've got the emotions out of it. What would your thoughts be on that?
1: I personally would would probably recommend that. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big one for having mentors. I'm a big one for having um, somebody that is there as a coaching relationship. Um so definitely that I, if I had to have a difficult conversation, I would always and I've still got a mentor now, I would always go to my mentor first and say, look, this is what I'm dealing with i'm not quite sure how to deal with it um this is this is everything that is going on and then we would have that conversation so i can distill down to be fair i naturally distill now i naturally go for my unmet need first because i recognize it straight away um but obviously if you if you're not trained in that skill it you you will probably need somebody to help but yeah having that conversation taking time to plan the conversation and that would be part of that planning that's
0: brilliant and what you're saying about you know you've you've got to the stage where You can now just say, oh, it's this need that's creating that particular story. You know, I I talk about mind story drama, how so much the pain that we experience is actually the what if thing that we're doing in our heads. And most of us don't even realize we're doing that. And it becomes our truth. Yeah, Mm -hmm. is that drama story. But what if he does this or she says that? suddenly we we forget that was just an imagination. Yeah, I remember a situation once where I had a dream and my husband had behaved very unreasonably and I woke up that morning and I was really cross with him for about two hours and I couldn't shift it, the poor thing. (laughs) (laughs) Because the mind story drama in the dream had been so real. I'd created the neural pathways that meant my brain forgot because there was such emotion with it. My brain forgot it had never actually happened. Yeah? Yeah, so I really think, yeah, having this coach, this mentor figure, somebody you trust who isn't going to sit there and wind you up because yes. we get physiologically addicted at a cellular level to the adrenaline and the cortisol those stress hormones created by the mind story drama so do not have your pre-chat with somebody who's just going to help you tease your way back up it needs to be somebody who can do the unconditional listening yeah. but i guess we then as the individual also need to be open to letting go of the mind story drama if we actually want to to ease that conflict yeah yeah
1: absolutely yeah because we we cannot have those difficult conversations if we are personally stuck in that drama so like I said earlier on never have a conversate a difficult conversation in the height of emotion just take five minutes out to just go and center yourself and, and then come back and start again
0: Absolutely. And definitely, I love your advice, about don't have it five minutes before you walk into a big meeting.
1: <laughs> you amount of people that do, though. You know, I just because need to have a quick chat with you.
0: <laughs> yeah. And and also, I think it's fair to, to brief the person that actually I do want to talk to you about this topic. And I've been finding it quite difficult because the last thing you want is them thinking that you're just doing a catch up update and there's suddenly to be flattered with a set of needs that they've got no idea even existed yeah
1: absolutely yeah absolutely it's about making time
0: making time and and us being the adults in that situation is is owning our reaction to the situation and yes. being genuinely open to there being an amicable solution rather than somebody needing to win and somebody else needing to lose and that can be quite hard if the person's behavior has been quite unacceptable yeah
1: yeah definitely i mean one of the things i always encourage in those mediation style conversations whether i do it one on one or whether i do it in a, a group setting is speak from the i use i statements i feel like this I've, I, you know, take ownership because that's one of the things we don't do in conflict. We, we immediately go to that blame place. We immediately try to blame somebody else, and it's not, it's not um, an issue in the sense of, you know, we all do it. It's just the way we naturally sort of gravitate to. But it's about taking ownership for, um, for what's going on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we've got some great comments here. It's like, yep, I recommend clients to practice, not to have a script, but to deal with the emotion before having the conversation for real. Absolutely. Um, might even practice it a few times. I write down the topics I want to talk to, talk through it and keep to those topics. And it's so important for us to, to be able to be in that space where we, as you say, we move away from the blame. You know, that famous Eleanor Roosevelt quote of nobody can make you feel inferior without your consent is a real rotten tomatoes moment. You know, swap the word inferior for whatever the emotion is we're feeling. Unfortunately, it's actually true. And if we're in a conflict situation, the other person might not even realize they're in a conflict situation. They might be blissfully unaware of the story and the pain that's going on inside for us. And we need to make sure we don't speak from the pain. We speak from that grounded sense of I'm taking responsibility for how I feel in this but I do need you to understand my needs
1: yeah definitely and it's it's funny you should say that because the amount of mediations I've done where one person has this 20 minutes of everything and the other person's like I don't know why I'm here <laughs> I've lost count of how many times that has happened and then by the time we get to the joint meetings, it's like ah
0: <laughs> it's surreal isn't it you know and and we can really wind ourselves up about other people's behavior without them having any idea whatsoever. And it doesn't mean that's okay, but we're all having a different experience of the same practical scenario.
1: Absolutely. It's that frame of reference.
0: Absolutely. So that's been really great advice, Louise. So the next big topic, this is something you and I discussed the other day that you see that we need to actually start having open conversations about now in the workplace. I'd love to hear from you on that.
1: Yeah. So the the big ones that that are coming through at the moment, um, there's two in particular. It's that return to work, the hybrid working. Um, And the biggest thing that's going to cause conflict there is having those conversations. So one of the tenets of psychological safety is fairness. So if you're having conversations with people about hybrid working, it's about making sure those conversations are fair to everybody. And understanding that some people are going to have greater needs than others. So if some people are still shielding, if some people are still classed as vulnerable, they're not going to want to be in the workplace. But they're also not going to want to be excluded or facing 20 questions as to why they're working from home five days a week, whereas everybody else has to be in three days a week or, or whatever. So that hybrid working has the real potential to generate a lot of destructive conflict, a lot of destructive conflict. The other one, and I think this is going to be even bigger, is the vaccine versus no vaccine conversation. Now, I'm not going to get into to the merits of which one's right and which one's wrong. The key issue here is that some people out there do not have a choice in terms of not being able to have the vaccination. So I have family members, I know Claire, we talked about this the other day, that can't have it for medical reasons. It's going to cause bigger problems than actually having probably COVID would do. So so in those situations, it's about having the empathy for those people um, and and understanding that everybody makes a decision as to to why they're living their life the way they are. We all should take responsibility for that decision, but it's appreciating that not everybody can make that decision decision some people have no choice. Absolutely and
0: I'm definitely seeing this as something that's going to come up as a hot topic I'm totally with you on this Marie is because there's been so much fear built up particularly on social media and in the mainstream media about vaccinated versus unvaccinated it becomes such an immensely emotionally charged topic and because it's coming from that place of fear it's already triggered the fight flight freeze fawn mechanism and I've already started hearing conversations of I won't be in an office with somebody who's unvaccinated because they might kill me. And I think, you know, we need as managers, as leaders, to actually be managing that discussion now, saying, actually, here are the facts. Here's what we're doing to keep everybody safe. If you've been vaccinated, here's the stats on how safe you are, you know, and actually you know, what right does anybody have to know somebody else's medical history in the workplace? You know, we need to be having, I don't have the answers like you. I don't have the answers, but it needs to be something that's discussed in an organization rather than imposed. And it's something that people need to feel safe talking about because there will be so much fear built up around the story that's in their head because people have been through massive fear in the last 15 months. If this gets projected into a workplace, you can imagine everybody, you can imagine how destructive that will be. Absolutely. If it's being suppressed in a workplace, you can imagine how somebody who, for whatever reason, has not been vaccinated is going to end up being ostracized or bullied or harassed or excluded, you know, or forced to work from home when actually they're desperate to be back in the office because they hate having to sit on their bed to work with their dressing gown in the background. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, there is no right and wrong on this and it's really important for us to be having those challenging courageous conversations now so that people feel safe it's that psychological security again isn't it marie
1: it absolutely is i mean right at the bottom of maslow is is the word safety and um, we have to feel safe before we can move up that hierarchy of needs and um, that's that's one of the essential tenets of maslow and the last 18 months we haven't been safe I don't think any one of us has felt safe for the last 18 months returning to the workplace I'm very lucky I work from home full stop I'm Mm -hmm. self-employed I don't have to go into an office and work with people but I have clients that are expecting me to go into the workplace and I'm having to ask for risk assessments and make sure that everything the same as the health and you know the normal health and safety um in the workplace is important this forms part of that for me so it's about making sure I am safe and Everybody needs to take responsibility for their own safety, but at the same time, organisations need to, as part of the psychological contract, as part of the Health and Safety at Work Act, as part of all these other things that underpin, is making sure that people are safe at work and COVID falls under that. Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. And there are two levels to that safety, aren't there, Marie? You've got the, yeah, you know, we've done the risk assessment, here's the written document, yeah. but also that psychological safety of, and now we're going to discuss it. We're not just going to email that document round, we're actually going to talk about it and why it's got what it has in it and how, how if somebody's got concerns, how they can easily raise those without feeling judged. Yeah, whichever side on whichever fence they are. Yeah. So Marie, before we wrap up, I just want to hear from the group that's with us live. If you've got anything else that you'd like to ask Marie or anything that's been a light bulb for you today in this session, let me know via the chat. And Marie, how can people get in touch with you? Because you and I've talked about how sometimes we think mediation doesn't happen until you hit like serious kind of court level conflict. And actually the best time to bring you in is so much earlier in the process. How does that work for an organisation?
1: So there's sort of several ways to contact me. I have my website and my uh, my details are up here, my QR code's here as well, um, which will direct you to, to sort of getting in touch with me. But I'm one of those, I am very much about prevention is better than, than cure. Um, understanding how to not avoid conflict, because as I said, conflict is inevitable, but how to make it constructive, because constructive conflict, it drives innovation, it drives creativity, it drives engagement, because people are allowed to speak up and be heard as well. So it is very, very much about um, in- encouraging people to speak up, but creating the environment. And that's the biggest thing that I can help organisations do, is create, help them create that environment for constructive conflict, for constructive dialogue, for making sure that everybody feels heard and supported. But I am also there when things do go wrong, and that, that extra level of support as well. So I'm a whole process person.
0: That's fantastic. we have got some lovely feedback here by the comments from those who've been here live going to read more about conflict styles. Absolutely lovely listening to you Marie on such an interesting topic of conflict and difficult conversations. I'm going to think about how it might be useful to help people increase their self awareness and hold more constructive conversations. So, Marie, people can find you over on LinkedIn. They can find you at werestorecalm.com. And also, you do offer half hour consultations to organizations as well, don't you? Um, I do
1: as well. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, So Get in touch with Marie if you think this is something that your organization needs to learn from or that your managers might benefit from some training in this, which right now, given the level of difficult conversations we're all going to be having, is essential because simply imposing decisions on people is the best way to make sure they leave, then please do get in touch with Marie. And Marie, if you could just wrap up by sharing, is there one thing that maybe you wish you'd known back at the very beginning of your career, before you started out as a mediator on how to have these conversations? What would it be?
1: It's not personal. That's probably the biggest thing, because the amount of times I didn't speak up for fear of thinking that it was going to be a personal attack on somebody else or reacting in such a way when somebody brought up something with me. I'm one of those um, that in the past, if somebody um, criticised me for something, whether it was done correctly or incorrectly, I always went straight to the defensive. Mm-hmm. and now I appreciate it is very much about it's not personal it's just about getting stuff out there getting stuff in the open and being able to move on constructively
0: I think that is possibly one of the best bits of advice for life <laughs> it's not personal Definitely. <laughs> that is such brilliant advice Marie thank you so much it's been wonderful talking to you today thank you so much for taking the time and everyone you can find Marie and find out more about her work at we show notes, deep dive resources, and access to Claire's inspirational weekly soul-led leaders. Email is available for you at claireyosa.com forward slash soul-led leaders.